Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Oh, I want to welcome everyone, by the way, listening to us on the, on the King's Cast. And this is part two of the series. I hope you've heard the first part. It's probably better than this. Number two. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In worship, you have to understand that he is here. That we are not worshipping a God who can somehow, through his wonderful God-like abilities, can hear us. We're not worshipping a God who, can, who just so happens to be able to hear us, even though he lives in heaven. Because the Bible says, that wherever two or three come together in his name, there he is in the midst. There he is in the midst. I think your whole church experience could be completely transformed if you were to absolutely believe just that. Just that one thought. Uh, apart from everything else. If you could but believe. Truly believe. That this, this character, Jesus. This historical character. The, the, one, the character in the films. The character in all the songs. That person is right here now, here, inside here. Not a different Jesus, exactly the same one. Here, in this place, and especially, of course, when we formally meet in his name, whenever two or three, so churches were pretty small back then too, whenever two or three can come together in my name, I will be in the midst, in the middle of them. That awesome sense, that awesome understanding. Can we make a fresh commitment today, all of us, to simply believe that truth? It's not a promise of God, it's just a fact. Of God, and they're two slightly different things. A promise is something that might come in the future. This is a fact of God. Jesus Christ is in the room. And if Jesus Christ is in the room, and we could believe that, and if we believed it and then act like it were so, to act as though it were so. What an hour we would have together. What faith would be stirred in us and what portals of heaven would open up all over us. Sometimes traveling around South America, uh, those who know me know that it's a very fatiguing thing to do. And I share some of my stories until people don't want to hear them anymore. When I come into some of these meetings and I'm 
I don't know, barely don't know who I am. Excuse me, won't have slept maybe for a couple of nights, at least not properly. And you pull your shirt out from the case, you know, and it looks like, I don't know what it looks like. I'm just glad I'm traveling alone. So no one's there going, you can't wear that. No one's allowed to take any high-definition photographs of me in Brazil. They all have to be rather grainy, so you can't see how awful I look. And if I thought going into some of those, some of those meetings where people are so sick and, and need, need miracles, I mean miracles, they don't, they don't just want to pick me up, they need miracles. If I thought that by standing in front of them, If I thought that it relied upon me having some sort of special gift or being charismatic or having some special anointing, I tell you, I'd be absolutely finished. There's only one thing I believe and only one thing I know that he is with me. And if he is with me, then he is going to do it. That's why we see the things we see. Not because of gift, not because of charisma. These are all theologically true, but experientially it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like he is with me. And he will give the people what they need. In Revelation chapter 1, have you turned there? John has a revelation. Remember we said last time, a revelation is when a curtain is pulled back. That's what the word revelation means. To pull back the curtain. So you can see. And John hasn't seen Jesus for decades. We don't know how many. Depends when you date this book. But it's certainly decades. He hasn't seen Jesus. The last time John saw Jesus... He was standing on the Mount of Olives and he did that takeoff thing he did. It disappeared. It's the last time he saw him. And then years later, some would say 50 or 60 years later, suddenly he's there in a quarry on the island of Patmos. Said last time, don't think about John being on, in exile on Patmos as lying on a, lying on a, you know, like a deserted beach with a palm tree trying to get Wi-Fi. He was there in a, uh, as a prisoner. He was there probably doing forced labor in a quarry or something like that. And he has this revelation, verse 12 of chapter 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands, here it is, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his feet were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze so his eyes were like fire and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. 
Do you imagine this experience? Eyes like fire, feet like bronze, a glowing, glorious being. This was the Jesus glorified now, revealing himself to John. It isn't just John that needs a revelation. We all need a revelation of who he is, how strong he is, and that he can do anything he wants. And that our prayers are not futile, they're not in vain, because they are directed towards him. Can you believe that when we come together, he is in the midst of us? That's the first question. Then the second question is, can you behave like that's true? Can you behave like that is so? If we took a poll as people left churches in Cambridge today, do you believe God was in church today? Everyone would answer yes. Because they know the theology. Yes, the answer is yes. God was in church today. Nine out of ten cats think that. But then ask another question. Did you behave as though you were? That's a totally different question. Did you behave as though you were there? Did you behave? Did you respond as though he was in the midst? Can you respond now as though he is here? Jesus of Nazareth himself, here in our midst, the king is among us. It's the old, old story, a preacher's story of a a little old lady in a Pentecostal church who every Sunday morning, roughly 10 to 11, just as the closing hymn was coming to an end, stood up and everyone's head went down because they knew what was coming. She was about to give her weekly utterance. It's a bit like Rowan Atkinson, you know, doing that. Everyone's head's going down. Oh, no, she's doing it again. And the pastor would come to the front. Behold, the Lord would say unto thee, that thou shalt not turn to the right nor to the left. <laughs> amen, amen. Let's get on with it. And everyone will recover. They've all forgave her. Then next week, 10 to 11. <laughs> uh, the Lord says, um, he hopes you all have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> I think that's it. Anyway, notice this. There will be a choir practice on, uh, on Friday. Next week. The pastor wants to say, the Lord says he wishes there were other people who would interpret here. <laughs> By the way, I'm now officially making some of this up. <laughs> and then one day, all good stories, once upon a time. One day a man came in. And, to, and everyone's looking at him. He's like new. You know what it's like when someone's new in church? <laughs> and you think, you know, my uncle's coming, so it better be good. 
Have you ever had that feeling? Yeah. And um, there was a new guy in. And do you know what? He sat next to Mrs. Ahiri. I said, no, don't sit next to her. Please, Lord. People praying, you know, that she'll have, you know, feel a bit ill, need to be taken out by the paramedics. So 10 to 11. And the guy looks at her like, But you know what's coming, don't you? How many of you know the end of the story? He knew that language, didn't he? That man knew that language. And his ancestry was an ancient tribe from the continent of Africa. And he said, he turned to her, how did you know that? Because what the woman said was the ancient declaration in their village. Whenever the, the official, the most, it wouldn't have been a king, but the most important person, when they were about to enter the village, the guys would go ahead and make that exact pronouncement to say the presence of the most important one has just arrived. The king, if you like, is here. And the king is here. Funny tongue or no funny tongue? The king is here. Can we just believe it? Don't you think it would change your Sunday morning if you believe that? I'm going to go to a place where the king is there. Who? Which king? The king of kings. Jesus. The Jesus who's able to put his hand on you and tell you what to do right now. The Jesus who's able to put his hand on you and forgive you of your stain. The Jesus who's able to put his hand upon you and your disease goes. The king is here. So we must believe. Secondly, that we learn from the scripture is that he is especially uh, revealing himself when we break bread. We've not done it today, we do it on a monthly basis. There's a lovely story after Easter. You remember the story where Jesus was walking with the Emmaus road travelers and he hid himself from them, didn't he? His, he hid his appearance, he hid his identity perhaps is better. He hid his identity from them. And they came together and they said, why don't you come and stay in our house? He said he was going on, but they persuaded him and he came in. You know the story? And they sat and it says, and then he took the bread and he broke it. And when he broke the bread, that's when they recognized him. And no sooner they recognized him, than he teleported out of there. He was gone. He was gone. When you leave your seat and come down here, we break bread here or when it comes to you in your chair. That's a moment for you to recognize him. It's a moment for you to recognize him in a context that you only get in that particular instance. He will reveal himself to you 
as you break bread, he'll also reveal you to you. How many have had that experience? Breaking bread, I feel like I know me a bit better right now. And I've missed the mark. But he wants to reveal himself. He's always here. But especially when we worship him. That's why we need to give him the, the highest honor. Number three here. He is a savior. So he doesn't condemn. You know, Romans 8 verse 1, don't you? There's therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it with me. There is therefore now no condemnation. Let me ask you. When is there no condemnation? The answer, now. There is now. Not not then at the judgment seat. There is therefore no condemnation now. Glory to God. We don't deserve that. But there's no condemnation now. There's another reason why I think people are not very good at worshipping. Because they don't want to come into the presence of God. They don't want to come into the personal space of Jesus. Why? Because they don't feel worthy to do so. Be foolish to think that God didn't know anyway. But I think that's what people, that's people's experience. Spend the whole week, if you like, away from God and then come into church and then take 20 minutes to make up to him. And by the end of the worship time, we're sort of friends now. No, I mean, I'm, it's a serious experience that people have. I really believe people have this. They take 20 minutes. Let's just make up, Lord. At first, they don't really want to enter his presence because they feel shameful or guilty because of their sin or because of their lukewarmness. And then after a couple of songs, they just feel, you know, led into worship. And while they're in worship, they say, oh God, please forgive me of my sins. And by the end of it, now we're sort of friends with God and it's over. And then we go off and we have another week and we come back and do the same thing. Some of you think, well, I don't have that experience. But some people have that experience. They really do. But you don't need to have that. Because he's the savior. That's, that's his name. He's the savior. If you're drowning in the sea and the lifeguard arrives... You don't have to say to the lifeguard, we got a big problem, I can't swim. Because you're not saving him. He's saving you and me. He swam out to save us. Hallelujah. You can't swim spiritually. You can't swim. That's right. You can't. That's right. You're not worshipping Jesus as an equal. You're worshipping Jesus as someone that he has saved. Someone who can't swim. But he can swim and he is saving you. That's who he is. 
Glory to God. And people come and they feel they can't really come into his presence because of guilt and sin. Well, here's, let me give you a word of advice. First of all, why don't you try not sinning? So let's just, let's just put that on the table first. Why don't we try that as well? Why don't we try living on fire for him and then we don't have to have the kind of the lukewarm guilt thing. So I don't want to take anything away from that. But of course we always fall short. We always fall short. He's the savior. That's who he is. Okay. Well, let me move on. I want to finish this today. So first of all, it has to be wholehearted. Worship is our ministry. You can't be late for church because you come to worship him. That's your bit. That's the bit that you do. That's the bit that you do. In all honesty, if you had to choose between, well, I've only got so much time on my Sunday to to give to church, you should rather give your time to the worship and then leave. I'm serious. Now, of course, I'm not that serious. But let's give God what he is due first. Everything else is a bonus. So we must be wholehearted. We reap what we sow. If we pour ourselves into God's presence, we shall be blessed. If we have a sing-along, we shall be utterly bored. Utterly bored. Secondly, we have to believe that he is here. And thirdly, finally... We must expect the supernatural. If Jesus is here, if we're entering into his presence, it's very hard to come into contact with Jesus and not be changed. Now let me just say one thing about the supernatural. By the supernatural, we don't necessarily mean that you're picked up from the ground and hurtled 20 feet uh, you know, uh, to the back of the hall. By the supernatural, we don't necessarily mean that you go home and find that all your teeth have gone gold. In the service. Although if they have, you should join Twitter. You don't necessarily mean those things, although those things sometimes occur. But the supernatural meaning that something happens. Something happens. My old pastor Cliff, uh, who's my mentor and taught me the word of God. And remember one time, Someone coming up to him and saying, Pastor, I hope nothing supernatural is going to happen in the church today. And he said, well, if nothing supernatural is going to happen, then nothing is going to happen. Nothing of God's substance, nothing of God's kingdom, because God is supernatural. Have you noticed that? He doesn't live on Mill Road in a flat. He's supernatural. You can't fool him and say, let me just tell you something you didn't know. He's supernatural. He's powerful. The miracle of Jesus becoming a man and healing people, the miracle is not in the fact that he healed people. The miracle is the fact that his coming into the world did not blow the world up. I remember years ago singing a stupid song here. And, and I can say it because I insisted that we sang it. <coughs> I brought it from Bogota, Colombia. 
And I said, I want us to sing this song. It's a brilliant song. Let's sing it. So we put the words up. And we sang it. And I remember one week, we were singing it for weeks. And I remember one week singing it, thinking, I shouldn't be singing this. And here were the words. Father, please touch me with all your power and might. And I said, no, don't. Don't do that. I changed my mind. Don't touch me with all your power and might. People just, they just get a bit funny, you know. The the power of God today in church was awesome. Oh, God showed all his power. No, he didn't. (laughs) How many of you know if God was to move in power in the next 20 minutes, the city would for sure be destroyed. The country would blow up. The whole of Europe would be utterly, if God moved in power with all his power and might. I tell you, I tell you, not, not even Rupert Murdoch would get on the news. <laughs> Father, just pour yourself on me. No, don't, because you'll be destroyed if you do. Because he's so awesome. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And then when you quiz them, God moved in power today, did he? Moved in power. Oh yeah, awesome, awesome power. And then when you finally quiz them, well, what actually happened? Well, uh, a lady fell over. (laughs) Right. Does she normally fall over? Oh, well, every week, to be honest. (laughs) I'm not making fun of falling over. I love falling over. Let's fall over. But listen, let's not talk about it as the ultimate act of God's glorious power. Because the real test of it's God's power is whether you're changed. Isn't it? So we expect the supernatural. Here are just a few thoughts on that from the scriptures. First of all, something for us to do. Revelation chapter 1, it says, John was in the spirit. I think in chapter 4 as well, it starts like that. We have to be in the spirit at all times and expect God to use us. There is such a person as the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And John was able to be, I don't know what in the spirit means. I don't know what that means. Can I just be honest? What does it mean he was in the spirit? I don't know what that means. But I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean he had his hands in his pocket and he was thinking about lunch. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean he had his other hand in his other pocket and he was thinking, I don't really like this song. It means that the power of God was on him. I think in the Amplified Version it says something like this. He was enveloped in the Spirit. And we should expect God to use us. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26. We know this verse quite well, don't we? Paul says this. When you come together, every one of you has this or that or this or that. A tongue, a prophecy, a word, an encouragement. 
Now, this is something that's best, of course, handled during our weeks of prayer when we come together. It's a lot easier for everyone to contribute when we have our weeks of prayer than in a sort of a slightly larger meeting like this. But this is a wonderful verse. He says, when you come together, every one of you has. That's an extraordinary thing for him to say. Every one of you has something to bring. A word, an instruction, an encouragement, a hymn. Into that time together. It means that if you look for it, it's there. I want to say that again. It's so important what I just said. If you look for it, it's there. Will you say that with me? If I look for it, it's there. God will give you something. He'll give you something. Have you ever had that thing? This is a very modern illustration now. Where for a long time you're not getting any emails. And you look at your... Oh, I'm, Sorry, I'm doing that. You look at your little phone. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of us, you know, got the big one. And... Um, <laughs> Number two, you know, and, um, but you're looking at your emails and you're thinking, I've not had any emails now for, for four hours. And do you know what you don't think? You don't think no one's emailed me. Because you know, someone will have emailed you. Someone in another country has left you an inheritance. <laughs> for the men here, uh, some medical uh, advice. If I don't get emails in fast, something's wrong, Jane, something's wrong. The, the hotmail must, must have been taken over by Al-Qaeda. There, there's nothing. Where, where are my emails? It's been four hours. There's nothing. That, 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 that can't be true. That cannot be true. Where's all the spam? You know, there must be something there. And I tell you, in times, maybe not so much on a Sunday morning, but when we come together, and I, I want to encourage you, join us when we pray together. It's a time to worship God and to learn how to minister in the Spirit. But if you look in your inbox, you see, there'll be something there. There'll be something there. God says, when you come together, every one of you has mail, heavenly and if you go to your heavenly mail and see nothing it's a sign that you need to learn how to read it it's not a sign that there isn't any right you have to learn how to hear God minister in the in the prophetic Moses said on one occasion I wish all the Lord's people were prophets so the first thing here as we think about the supernatural the prophetic, the utterances of God, God inspiring us with dreams and visions and revelations and thoughts. It's a, pl- it's, it's a very complicated topic because it's something you need to learn how to do. And you need to learn how to do it from those who are doing it and not be your own person. One young man, I've mentioned this so many times, I'm even bored of hearing it myself. 
But one young man came into our church when I was, you know, 20 years ago in another church. And he came in and he told the pastor, he said, I've got a special gift. And Cliff said to him, what, what special gift have you got? He said, I have the gift of seeing the faults in others. Cliff said to him, I've got that gift as well, but I'm trying to crucify it. No, you don't operate by yourself in the gifts of the Spirit. You operate alongside others. And I want to help you, and Phil will help you, and others. We want to help you to flow in the Spirit of God. But it's not something we can really do on Sunday mornings. But join us in our special times outside of Sundays. And we'd love to just help you and shape you and give you our experience. We're not experts, but we're a little further up the track than some others are, but still with a long way to go, okay? But we know some things, and we want to help you. So we want to look in our, in our spiritual mail, see if God is giving me something. And he promises he will. Number two here, prophecy will... Follow worship. We not looked in the Bible for a bit. Let's look at this. Second Kings chapter three. Second Kings chapter three. It's a story of how three kings came to see Elisha, king of Israel, king of Judah, and the king of uh, Edom, and they want a word. They've come for a word from Elisha because they heard he was pretty good at these words. So they traveled to see him. I want you to notice something here because it's very relevant to our topic today. Elisha is not very friendly with them. He says in verse 14 of 2 Kings 3, Elisha says, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you, saying, I'm only going to do this because he's here. You other two kings, not terribly interesting to me. But look at verse 15. Look at it. Look at it. It should be underlined in your Bible if, if you're an underliner. But now he says, bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says. Did you, did you see that? That amazing connection between worship and the release of the word of God. Elisha said, you want a word? You want me to give you a prophetic word? I'm not a machine. You can't press a button and out it comes. But let's worship for a while. Let's worship for a while. Get a harpist. Let's worship for a while. And then I'm sure something will happen. You notice that even in church today? Or when we have meetings around the, the, the week? It's very rare to walk in, be sitting, having coffee, and suddenly someone gets up and says, this is what the Lord says. No, it's much more common for there to be a time of worship first. And as we worship God, then the gift of prophecy is, is activated. 
Now, of course, God can speak to someone before a gathering and they show up and deliver a word, of course. Of course that can happen. But the more normal thing is to allow worship. You see, as we worship God, it's, and it's not about the music, you understand? It's about worship. Look at me, because I'm going to say something it's so important. Look at me. Prophecy does not follow the songs. Prophecy follows worship. And you can sing and have songs, but not really be in the Spirit. Do you, do you, do you understand the difference? It's worship, real worship in spirit and truth that releases the word, not singing. And actually, you can be a hands in the air, you know, Pentecostal charismatic person and still be thinking about who's going to win the apprentice tonight, you know. Seems like you could even be preaching and thinking that. So the word of God is, is released by worship in spirit and in truth. Now, some of you, you, you know this. I know you know this. But let's just be reminded of it. Let's press into it. Let's press into it. And sometimes I think, hear me carefully, I think we can worship God and God speak to us right where we are, just sitting. No need for anyone to talk in human terms. God just speak right into you. So prophecy follows worship. Worship releases the power of God as well. And here are just a few examples to smash down walls. You remember the, the guys walking around Jericho? And they let out a shout of praise. And as they did, the walls just came tumbling down. Well, we're not looking to do building renovations like that here, are we? We need to take this wall out, boys. Let's all shout. <laughs> Tell you, if that wall comes out by shouting, we're probably in a bit more trouble than we think. But what about those other kinds of walls? Not the walls of a city. But what about the walls of our heart? What about the, 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 the strongholds of evil that oppress us? Not strongholds in the sky, demons hovering over cities, but the strongholds in our mind. That as we worship, we might be set free. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have church meetings where people came in depressed, but left just overwhelmed with laughter and joy inexpressible. One time I was leading a, a meeting at Madison Hall, which is a Bible college, and I just shared a few stories and then I said, let's worship God. And suddenly a girl just collapsed on the floor and started laughing. And some people like laughing in church and some people don't. And I thought, I wonder what these people will think. So this girl was on the floor. She's Japanese. I remember. She was just sitting on the floor and she was laughing and laughing and laughing. And everyone was just shocked. And what I thought afterwards was I thought they were shocked because they didn't like it. You know, we don't want, we want depressed people here. <laughs> but afterwards they told me the girl was so depressed to be away from Japan. The students, and having been a Bible college student, let me tell you, this is unusual. 
the students were having a, a whip round, an offering, a collection to pay for her flight home. That's how depressed she was. And so when the Holy Spirit hit her, she just fell and just started laughing. That's why they were shocked. They weren't offended. They were amazed. They were amazed. I don't know what they did with the money. (laughs) And do you know what? That's never occurred to me until right now. Walls fall down. You say, well, I haven't got any walls. You're kidding me. You have. You have some healing that needs to be done. You have some work that the great physician needs to do. So walls fall down. Chains are broken. Remember in Acts 16, the Paul and Silas are imprisoned by the Philippians. And it says they began to sing hymns to to God and and as they began to sing hymns it says there was an earthquake the prison door opened and all their chains fell off spoke to a psychiatrist once years ago psychiatrist said said in church there's a lot of talk about joy but actually quite a lot of Christians are a bit a little bit depressed. I said, yeah, I think that's I think that can be true. He said, some of course have more serious problems. He said, but I reckon this. He said, you know, these Christians who get the blues. He said, you know, he said, he was speaking as a psychiatrist, not as a spiritual leader, not as a spiritual teacher. Not as a Bible instructor, but a psychiatrist. He said this. He said, you know what? These people who get the blues, he said 90% of them might find they're hugely improved if they just spent 10 minutes worshipping Jesus every day. I thought, wow, I'm supposed to tell you that. But in our times of worship here in this room and in, on other occasions, our chains can fall off. That bondage you've got to sin can be loosened. That shackle can fall away. If we can only but come in the Spirit and worship Him wholeheartedly. Finally, I think there's one more here. To bring deliverance. 1 Samuel 16, verse 16 says this. That the, the, the king Saul was afflicted by a devil, an evil spirit. And it's a very curious passage in the Old Testament. But he was afflicted by an evil spirit. And it says this, that he would send for King David. Why? Because King David could command the spirit off him? Nope. Because King David could throw a stone at the demon? No. Because King David had a sword? No. Because King David was a musician. And it says, as clear as anything, that when David, and again, he played the harp. Harps must have been a bit popular back then. When David played the harp, the evil spirit left the king. 
king. So we find that in worship, our worship upsets the demonic. Our worship causes walls to fall down, chains to come off. Hear me, not singing doesn't do that. Worship does that. So let me encourage you. And let me encourage us as a church family together. We're talking about building a new building, but the most important building is the one we've already got, the living stones that are here. Not the bricks and the mortar and the steel, but us as a living temple being built together in the Lord, in the words of the Apostle Peter. And we want to fill this place with the honor that is due to God's name. So let me encourage you today. Why don't we make an agreement? We're going to refresh our worship. We're going to refresh. Sometimes in worship, it's not a new song you need. We've sung lots of, lots of oldies today. It's not a new song that you need. It's a new spirit. It's a new approach. It's a new love for God and a new dedication that I'm going to worship wholeheartedly. I said last week, of course, if you're trying to hold on to two children, it's pretty tricky to come into God's presence. But other than things that would distract you where possible, Jesus says this to us at this season of our church's life. He says, I want you to come much more into my personal space. Come into my personal space. Feel my breath upon you. Come near to me in worship. And who knows what chains, what walls, what doors of darkness will be destroyed as we do. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.